Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of the Steelers Outpost Podcast. A proud member of Sports Drink Network. You join me, Nick, in the mobile Houston Outpost as I'm driving down the breezy 100-degree Houston Highway down to Galveston, uh, the quote-unquote beach of Houston, uh, the water-adjacent domain of Texas, as it were, uh, to go play a little gig down there, do a little singing. Do a little dancing song and dance man kind of thing, and hopefully dance away the pain of yet another Steelers loss. Uh, Steelers lost to the Browns. Uh, nonetheless, I think those sting a little bit more, but something we're getting a little bit accustomed to in these days. The frustration is boiling over in Steelers Nation. And if you can somehow find the strength in your body to take some of the emotion out of it, it is a little amusing on Twitter right now. Because we are at each other's throats. It's bad. It's bad. I'm not going to give you the fire and brimstone that I gave last week on the podcast as I felt the obituary was being written in real time. And thus, my expectations were aligned, I think, properly for this Browns game and for the upcoming games. Um, So I'm going to take a little bit of a more of a bird's eye view, although, of course, I'll talk about what happened in the game. I just conferred with Papa Tom on the phone before hopping in the car here to record the podcast. So I'm going to give you some of his thoughts as well. Uh, If anybody knows some sort of easy software to record, just like telephone conversations, that would be awesome because that way he and I could have the podcast at this exact moment together. I know maybe like having Zoom on and recording via mobile. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but either way, somebody give me some advice on that. But without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Let's talk about the offense. Let's talk about Mitch. Let's talk about Canada. It's time to bring up the Tomlin stuff, I think, uh, with the widespread issues, and uh, we'll get into it. Let's go. All right, so first things first, I'm going to repeat my message from last week. There are multiple issues, but there's one in particular that people are overthinking. There's one in particular that has an immediate solution, not just one solution, but multiple solutions and that situation needs to be addressed. And that's Mitch Trubisky. The quarterback play is horrific. Look there at this point is a plethora of visual evidence on NFL plus, I guess it's called now, but if you don't want to take a look through the tape yourself, there are some great Steelers follows who we like to mention on all of our podcasts who have done the work for you and they've cut it up and they've, uh, they've posted a lot of these plays 
onto Twitter. So you can look at Alex Kazora. You can look at, at Derek DeKid. You can look at Nick Farbaugh. Uh, a lot of guys have posted this stuff. And so what I'm trying to tell you is there is a sample size now that shows us the quality of play from the quarterback and the quality of performance from the offensive coordinator. And it's becoming objective where we don't have to throw around cliches, right? So the first thing that's an objective quantitative point is that Mitch Trubisky is missing wide open receivers on a consistent basis. Either he is not even looking at receivers who are within the normal read of a progression. And so I know that the Monday morning armchair quarterback or Friday morning as the point, as the case may be here, the armchair quarterback thing of, 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 uh, saying, oh, this guy was open. Why didn't he throw to, throw to him? That's generally frowned upon because you need the context of what the reads were for the particular play, right? If there's a guy open on the backside of a play that would be, the quarterback isn't really going to be looking at until a third or fourth read, that's a little bit of an unrealistic expectation to put on somebody. But that's not what's happening with Mitch. What's happening is there are first and second reads, the aggressive reads, the posts in particular. My goodness, Mitch, find yourself who hates your enemy, someone who hates your enemies, the way Mitch Trubisky hates the post pattern. (laughs) Because there are a lot of simple reads to the play side that he's not even throwing, particularly to Deontay Johnson and to George Pickens, who, yes, made quite possibly the greatest catch in the history of the sport of football. I mean, obviously, you know, immaculate reception, but it was truly the Odell 2.0 catch. I mean, I could spend the whole podcast just talking about that if we want, because that might be kind of fun, to be completely honest with you. Uh, It was pretty hilarious, given that that occurred a couple days after he was quoted as saying he's open 90% of the time or whatever it was. Mitch makes a throw to him, you know, (laughs) not the most accurate throw. He makes an absolutely insane catch, like something we've never seen before. And we've seen some crazy catches as Steelers fans. It really drove the point home. And basically, Twitter was in a complete consensus of, I guess he is open 90% of the time. And you guys are getting a glimpse at the talent of George Pickens being the single most talented receiver that the Steelers have drafted literally maybe ever. Like, Antonio Brown, obviously, would be the other one. I know we love Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward's spectacular all-time player, but, you know, not ever really like a top five receiver in the league or anything like that, not to take anything away from him. But when we're just talking about talent potential, you know, A.B. grew into that. This George Pickens, he's got everything from day one. And so it was nice to see him make that catch from Mitch Trubisky, which is the perfect yet clumsy transition I needed to get back to the Mitch Trubisky issue. He's not throwing the ball to open receivers. They are open. There, there is, we can track the amount of times he has missed that, which shows us, hey, Canada might have issues, issues that we're going to get into here. But he's, Mitch is leaving 100 yards on the field a game e- easily. So there are many more opportunities for the Steelers offense that are being missed because the quarterback is not taking them. Additionally, he's not very accurate. And it it takes me back to, oh, wait, the 60 games he started in Chicago where he was not very accurate. 
It takes me back to the preseason where we tried to give him a lot of credit, but we gave him a lot of credit by saying, man, it's, it's interesting how he's able to evade the rush and he doesn't seem scared like he used to be in Chicago. Athletically, he looks impressive when you see him moving around out there. And then he fires a pass that's just out of reach of one of his receivers. Hopefully those will start connecting once he gets to play more than one or two drives per game. That's what we said in the preseason. That has not happened. It, it turns out that he's just he's the same level of accurate that he's always been. He misses the broadside of the barn quite a bit. There was the two-minute drill where Deontay was literally standing stationary on the sideline with no one around him and Mitch sails the ball 12 yards over his head literally 12 like it, he was throwing to some sort of crane person not even close did the same exact thing both on the right sideline last game to George Pickens and and the game before when Pickens was open for the 90 yard touchdown the and that's just what I'm trying to say about Mitch he needs to get benched because Wait for it. If Mason Rudolph had been starting for the Steelers, the Steelers would be 3-0 and at this point. Let that sink in. I know that's crazy. But it's true. I, I'm hard-pressed to argue the opposite of that. Mason, his issues are his utter lack of athleticism, uh, sort of obviously prevent him from playmaking, but it also causes him to poop in his pants when a lot of pressure gets around him and he tries to make throws that he can't make because not only are his legs weak, but his arms weak. So when he's trying to fit the ball into tight windows, once again, this is a mission of the podcast. We're trying to help people out in understanding quarterback play and arm strength is not just throwing the ball far. That's actually one of the least useful aspects of quarterback arm strength. It's mainly throwing the ball fast. And especially, you know, with a good spiral so it can cut through the air and so it's catchable, whatever, right? So that's where Rudolph has issues. But in every game the guy's played, he will connect deep a number of times in the game and make throws downfield. He is an aggressive thrower, you know, relatively speaking. And he has done this and proven this with worse teams than the current team. It was with last year or two years ago, the line from the past few years, which is an even probably a slight tick of a downgrade to what they're working with right now. Because if we can name one shock of the season, it's not going to be Jalen Warren coming out of nowhere to become a legitimate running back. It's going to be, hey, the offensive line is not bad. They have plenty of time and they're not going to be running for 100 yards a game on anyone. But with Najee's excellent step-up game here against the Browns. They showed, well, you can run the ball with them. You know, there is, they're not completely inept like we thought they would be. So Mitch has done this with a worse offensive line and with worse receivers. Obviously, Deontay and Claypool were there, but, well, the year he started, Claypool wasn't. But they were younger. They weren't as good as they were before. And then, obviously, you didn't have George Pickens. And so... With Mitch Trubisky, with the amount of objective evidence that is available, it, it, it's – I don't even care about – like if you just are dead set on not having Kenny Pickett in there, which to me is dumb at this point because I think it's pretty clear they're not winning the Super Bowl, so let's get this guy some experience. I think it's also pretty clear that he's not just going to get decapitated 
behind that line the way that people thought he would. So what are we even doing here? If you just don't want him in there, put Mason in. And I think that that's what really sort of nail puts the nail in the coffin for the Mitch Trubisky thing. The opportunities are there. He's not taking them. And when he takes them, he misses them. Stop getting enamored by a guy running outside of the pocket. How many lackluster quarterbacks have we seen over the years? Backup quarterback. I mean, Josh Dobbs can get out of the pocket too, you guys. And so it is a little disappointing that the Steelers took this flyer on Mitch Trubisky, who is the same guy he's always been, when you really could have had, I mean, you could have just started Mason Rudolph for a lot less money. I know Mitch isn't breaking the bank, but you have a guy who can do basically the same thing. And what I think happened is Mike Tomlin is, has so much faith in his gamble on Matt Canada that he figured the mobility of Trubisky is going to transform the capabilities of the quote-unquote Matt Canada offense farther than what a Mason Rudolph can do. But as we can see, not exactly lighting the world on fire with the quarterback mobility thing. And then just to put a stamp on this as I ramble here, although that's all a solo podcast is, is just a, a long ramble, right? But to put a stamp on this, it, quarterback mobility in the NFL doesn't really help with your overall scheme that much unless you're Lamar or Kyler or, or Josh Allen. Such a freak show where you're just a le- Cam Newton, a legitimate running threat down the field, right? Otherwise you're still playing from the pocket. The mobility isn't to design a system around. It's to thrive in the modern NFL where you have to move around and and reset your feet and and there's a lot of movement in the offenses. So I don't even think the thought process of having uh, Mitchell Trubisky in there made a lot of sense. Like, why don't you just sign RG3 or something if you really wanted a runner? So anyways, I do think there are a ton of yards and points being left on the field. And the Steelers at this point who've lost a couple heartbreakers, would be 3-0. and Still a bit of a middling to above average team, which, by the way, is kind of what we predicted in the offseason. But they would, they would have won all those games if some of those yards had been taken advantage of. I can, we can't say for certain that Kenny Pickett would or would not have. I think a lot of us think he would have, just based on what he put forward in the preseason and based on the style of quarterbacking he has. Um, but that's a little bit of an unfair assumption to make, seeing that he's never played a game. Uh, Mason Rudolph, we've seen quite a bit of evidence. It's a lot better than what we're seeing with right now, and it's with Feetner and with Canada, so you can't use that as an excuse. They have to bench Mitch. Tomlin said he's not going to. That's not good news. It, it, that has a shelf life on it. All right, let's tackle the Matt Canada thing really quickly. I don't think this has to be as long of a diatribe that I went on for Mitchell Trubisky. Here's the issue with Matt Canada. Uh, the, the awful predictions have come to pass. He's a college coordinator, and, and that's all. And what I mean by that is go look at Alex Kazora's Twitter page or go to our Twitter page at Skills Outpost where I retweeted this thread where he gives you a very nice sample size pre-Browns game of Matt Canada's play calling and the major issue, which is the same major issue that has plagued all of the college coordinators according to the NFL recently. Brady, uh, or Brad, what is it? Joe Brady 
the uh, um, who was Joe Burrow's offensive coordinator at LSU, and then got fired pretty quickly into his tenure with Matt Rule and the Panthers. Um, you can think of obviously Chip Kelly a little while back, guys like that. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is a spectacular example of this and his failures as an offensive coordinator, no matter how much money they spend on that offense. The issue with these guys is they only run a few plays, and they run them over and over again from the same formations. And I don't know if it was Alex or Nick Farbaugh who made this point online, but the re- that's the second week in a row where I've said online. That's hilarious. Like I'm 32. This is uh, sounding like I'm 62, but that's what watching these Steelers will do to you. The thing with the college coordinators is they simplify because they're trying to teach an offense to a 20-year-old kid with your quarterback. Actually, a bunch of 20-year-old, 19- and 18-year-old kids. So you need to simplify and the talent discrepancy is so enormous in college because there's no salary cap. You can just recruit the best guys over and over and over again that you can be simple because not only are the players not as experienced and they may not notice as much in the play calling, but your athletes are so much better that it might not matter. Like, yeah, we're running verticals. What are you going to do? I'll back shoulder if I absolutely have to, but I'm, all of our players are better than all your players. So that's Matt Canada's problem. He runs the same few passing concepts out of the same formations so teams are able to predict it. If you watch the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay's team play, you'll notice he runs a lot of the same plays. It is so much bootleg and having the tight end come all the way across the formation or now Cooper Cup and the quarterback rolls out and hits him and all these little sort of stretch run plays. But – He runs them out of a thousand different variations. Yep, he's running the same uh, personnel a lot with that 11 personnel, the three running, uh, the three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. But there's different motions that lead to the same sort of play. There's different formations that lead to the same sort of play. It is pretty incredible that someone as brilliant football wise as Mike Tomlin has not forced his offensive coordinator to do that. And it's pretty crazy that Canada has been so stubborn as to not make those changes. And I wish we knew what was going on behind closed doors because at a certain point, you got to respect these guys and they're at least as smart as all of us, right? At worst case, right? They're not dummies. They know football. They do football all day, every day for decades. So there's got to be some sort of reason, but I also think a lot of football teams suffer from that insulated, lifestyle where we have a uh, friend, a family friend who worked for a couple of the Ravens in, in Washington for a while. And he used to give us some pretty funny anecdotes about how those teams were run. And our favorite anecdote is that like, look, at the end of the day, it's football players making like football decisions. And sometimes football players have great minds. Sometimes they have great instincts. It's, you know, Sometimes it's an emotional game. There can be emotional people and some dumb decisions get made and uh, it can be surprising at times. And obviously they also have restrictions. Sometimes ownership makes you do stuff. Sometimes public pressure makes you do stuff. So it's wild how, how simple the issue is and frustrating because this issue of simplicity and play calling has failed sort of rampantly throughout the league in recent years. And there are many examples of it. And to get bit by that same shark is frustrating because there's kind of no excuse. And then the last thing I'll say about Canada is just situationally, he kind of has no idea what's going on. I mean, I think he called all verticals in a curl route. I'm third and three recently. 
uh, in this game. It, it's some of this brutal situational play calling. Like, why are you calling this in that particular situation? Um, and just some of the play design where the receivers are getting bunched in the same area. So those are Canada's issues. It, they're unsustainable. He's got to get fired regardless. He's not getting fired in season. Absolutely not. The Steelers will never do that. Even if you get drunk and punch somebody at Tequila Cowboy, even when you're a pretty good offense coordinator, you're not going to get fired. But, yeah, Canada has issues too. I'm not absolving him, but I'm just saying on the totem pole, it goes quarterback first, offensive coordinator second. Now let's talk about the defense a little bit because they got absolutely abused in the running game. And that has been a pretty terrifying trend over the last few years for the Steelers. I think over the last couple of years, they're dead last in run defense overall. And I added on to a, to a tweet. I don't know if it was Orlovsky or, or someone at ESPN. I added on to that tweet saying, I think they're probably 32nd in run offense as well. But uh, I thought the rush offense was vastly improved against the Browns with Najee actually sticking between the tackles and pushing the pile a little bit more than he had before. And so hopefully that is a, that's a big step for his growth. But in regards to the Steelers defense, they got gashed. We've said this in prior years, but it bears re-examining at this moment. How much of the Steelers' defensive struggle is due to exhaustion? I mean, they, the offense, and this is a Papa Tom stat here, in the second half, if you exclude the first possession, the first Steelers possession of the second half, I think was relatively long. I believe it led to a field goal. But if you take out that possession, the Steelers possessed the ball for five minutes in the second half. The defense is getting worn out. And this is going to lead to, to, to bigger thoughts that I have about Tomlin's approach to team building through this transition era when you've lost your most import, any team's most important employees, quarterback and general manager, especially if they're good ones, right? So <clears throat> the defense, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to judge them with how much they're on the field. I think that they did a good job against the rush in the first half. There were a couple long runs that Chubb broke. And to me, honestly... I don't have too much of a problem with that. So I think I've been on record on the podcast as saying I think that Chubb and um, Jonathan Taylor are definitely the best running backs in the NFL. I've thought that for a few years, even over Derrick Henry is obviously awesome. But these guys just have a different level of burst and uh, quicks in addition to their, you know, their, their power and their long speed. So if he breaks a couple of runs on you, that's okay. They're going to do that. If you beat Joe Burrow – He's going to have a couple amazing long passes on you the way he did. If you beat Ben Roethlisberger, he's going to have a couple long passes on you. That's fine. It's just you can't let the damn break. And what we were talking about before the game is what's going to happen to the Steelers is what happened to the Jets against the Browns. You're going to get worn down by the fourth quarter. Like the, the, the Browns are one of the only proper running teams left in the NFL right now because elite line play and elite running back play, you can definitely wear people down like that. And so, yes, that's an issue. Yes, it's kind of terrifying that the Steelers can't get any pressure without T.J. Watt, although I thought that Highsmith has been getting steadily better every game. That'll be really encouraging. Um, I just, you know, 
I, I find it hard to have a ton of problems with the defense just because the offense is absolutely so putrid. They're going three and out at almost 40% of the time. It's crazy. And just exposing the defense, not only to being on the field for too long, but you give an offense a chance for trial and error to eventually crack your code a little bit. So the offense has to pitch in. I think the defense has been fine thus so far. Yep, they gave up some long pass plays. You're going to give up long pass plays. It's, it's not the 70s anymore. It's not 2004. You can't just bump and run people back into the backfield and basically decapitate the quarterback and the receivers and force them into playing more conservatively. The rules don't let you anymore. So you're going to give up plays. It's, it's really about you know, sacks and takeaways and something the Steelers have been pretty good at recently. All right, last two segments here. First, I'm going to talk about Mike Tomlin and the Steelers' approach to the transition era here. And then secondly, I just want to touch on the outlook for the rest of the Steelers' season, which, of course, is scary, given who they have on the schedule and how they've looked thus far. So the first thing is Mike Tomlin. I'm going to tie together everything else from this podcast. Dad and I were talking before. It's hard to say if he gets an A or an F or a C or whatever the grade may be for this transition because I think it's hard to argue that they've put together a lot of incredible pieces. I mean, this is not the Atlanta Falcons or, you know, Washington or New York Giants or the Jets or even the Cardinals. Like, like, these teams who just can't get it right. There's a lot of star pieces. Like when you look at the, the Hall of Fame quality players on defense, when you look at the spectacular sp- skill position players in Pittsburgh, and uh, I'll, let me put a bookmark in that for a second. I'll, I'll talk about the, the drops or some of the receiver issues because they're not uh, spotless, but I think that that would be insane to make the argument that they're as big of a problem as the other things we talked about. But so – Tomlin's done a good job. They've built a lot of good things in Pittsburgh, and they should be 3-0 and right now. You know, you can make the argument that they're a muffed punt and a dropped interception away from winning the game last week. And then, you know, last night, they had the thing in their hands. And if they were 3-0 and right now, if they had started Mason Rudolph and not ever signed Mitch Trubisky, would I think that they're a good team? No, I would. But, like, the results would speak for themselves. It's just kind of hard to picture Tomlin ever having a really bad team the way that some other teams, uh, some other franchises get, right? So that does count for something. But you got to be a little bit more bold, I think, to make a full turnaround. Or in the case of the Bengals and then even like the Bills, you just have, you kind of have to suck and land the superstar quarterback, right? I mean, I guess the Bills were, uh, were decent. They got um, Sean McDermott, and he built a really good team to take frickin' um, Tyrod Taylor to the playoffs. And, and the Chargers obviously always been good with Rivers and then getting lucky to be able to transition right to Herbert's pretty awesome. But I think they got to be a little bit more bold, the Steelers. And here's what I think happened to put the Steelers in the current position. It starts with signing Mitch. So based on a lot of interviews or a few interviews in the offseason, Mike Tomlin 
was thinking that the steel curtain was back. He's on record as saying we're going to have a dominant defense or, or something along those lines. Very strong language and very surprising given how he, you know, shies away from stuff like that, probably wisely. But I think his vision for this team was that they're going to have the best defense in the league. I mean, I mean, they're arguably the most talented, so that's not crazy. And we're going to get a mobile quarterback in here. They, all the comments about mobile, mobile, mobile last year from Rooney to Tomlin, Colbert, everybody wanted the mobile thing. So you could tell Mace Rudolph had no shot. And that's why they grabbed Mitch Trubisky. And why did they avo- avoid Carson Wentz? Well, you know, he, he's, just, he's, he's a bit of a goofball, and he obviously turns the ball over a lot. So I think their thought was, we're going to have the best defense in the league. We're going to get a mobile quarterback, and this offense with Canada is going to work. It's going to be significant. Now, we know they were wrong on that. They, that gamble did not pay off, and it's not going to pay off because you can't give me an example of guys where it hasn't worked, and all of a sudden it just magically starts clicking. I mean, obviously, I do think the Steelers' offense will get better, but, you know, to what extent, we'll see. But that was his vision. So he paid for Trubisky, and now they're saying it's not working. And I think he's still justifying Mitch is still new to the team. The offensive line has a ton of new pieces. The receivers, there's a few new pieces. It's a young team. They're not a finished product. They're going to get a lot better. That's what I think Mike Tomlin's thinking. And we're going to stay the course. We're not going to panic. We've, we have six Super Bowl trophies as a result of not making knee-jerk decisions, and we're going to continue with that philosophy. That philosophy is not working, my friend. And I just don't know what the goal is at, at the moment. Like, how much is Mitch going to improve? How long are we going to wait? And, and does it really matter? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's more helpful to have Mitch in there so some of the rest of the offensive players can develop and get their footing, even though clearly they are demonstrably upset. I mean, Deontay Johnson is getting pretty pissed on the field when he's missed on a few wide-open passes, and you haven't seen him do that before. Oh, let me, let me say the receiver thing real quick. Deontay dropped the pass at the end, um, and Pickens maybe could have made a catch in, in the end zone on that sort of fade route. For sure. Look, the receiver's – they have issues too. Todd Haley actually pointed it out on a few podcasts. Todd Haley's cool now, by the way, apparently. He's great on podcasts. He's great on Pat McAfee's show, and he's made some good points about the Steelers. And he's very respectful and very, like, Steelers positive. So don't be worried. He's not a Steelers hater. He's actually still a fan. His dad was a coach, blah, 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 whatever. But there's a number of plays where the Steelers receivers are literally running into each other on crossing routes. So there are some coaching issues there as well. Right. Not only did you lose Ben and Colbert, you lost Richard Mann. That's that stinks. Um, so Deontay should have caught that pass at the end, for sure. Once again, you just got to put it in perspective. Like if you're driving a car down the highway and the engine is broken, it's sputtering out, and your windshield wipers aren't working. Like there's a hierarchy to what's more important. We need the engine. We need the quarterback and the coordinator. The, the receivers would have a lot more play. They're already making a lot of plays, and they'd have more plays if the ball was being thrown to them. They have a couple drops, fine, whatever. I'm not saying that they're Lynn Swan and John Stallworth, but we got to stop making that a scapegoat point. So anyways, back to Tomlin's philosophy. This defense and championships thing, it's not working. You could 
you could potentially get there if Kenny Pickett fulfills his destiny and you get a little bit of a better offensive coordinator. And what I mean by that is it's not going to be the killer bees. It could be the modern version of the 2009-2006 Ben Roethlisberger Steelers where the offense is middle of the pack but solid and can sustain some drives, can be balanced, can attack teams in different ways based on the matchup, and can sustain some drives to let the defense do their thing. And while the defense can't dominate like the way it did in those eras, I think the offense will probably put up more points than it did in those eras. And it'll enable the defense to pin their ears back once again and get sacks and get interceptions and be opportunistic, right? So I don't think the vision is, is dead. And the team building has been pretty impressive around it. I do think they need one more offseason uh, to really address the trenches in particular. And then we can sort of fairly at that point start saying, all right, what's going on here? Um, but I, I think that it's unrealistic to think you can replace uh, a top five offensive line in the NFL where you lost every single member, you know, top quarterback, top receiver, top running back, top second and third receivers. That's a lot of paces. It's going to take a few years to rebuild. I think they're almost there. And the future of the Steelers is not super dim. It just sucks that the season is so boring like the last few. Um, and you don't want to see Tomlin be stubborn for too much longer. I, I think that giving Mitch four games, good, fair. That's technically you know a quarter of the season, just below a quarter of the season. But you better not hold on to this guy for the rest of the time because not only are you going to want to get Kenny Pickett in there to get experience, but Kenny Pickett might be better right now. God knows Mason Rudolph is. And that says a lot. So that's, that's my thought on the Tomlin and the team building situation. All right, the last piece of information here, the last piece of pontification is what is the rest of the Steelers season going to look like? And I got to tell you, I think, I think the first losing season is coming. And I, I do not think the Steelers are going to roll over and die. Hopefully, fingers crossed, they can uh, stay healthy, right? You, you know, you can only, any, any team can only withstand so many things. I think they'll obviously still keep fighting. If you don't think that, then you haven't watched Steelers football for 30, 40 years, like I have. No. <laughs> um, but, look, they're playing the Jets this week. That I mean, that's a pick em. That's a pick em. The Jets, they got some talent. I don't think the Steelers really are going into any game right now with well, – the Steelers haven't scored 20 points in a game yet. And it's not like they've played the best defenses in the world. The, the, those defenses are all talented, but – they haven't played a defense like their own. They haven't played Bosa and Mac. They haven't played, you know, it, it's going to be tricky. It's probably the worst defense they've played so far with the Jets, the most inexperienced. So that'll be helpful. I hope the Steelers score more than 20 points. I think they will because they have a lot of time to plan for it. I think they might score, you know, 23 if we're lucky. But um, they could definitely lose that game. The next four games after that, I, I find it hard to see the Steelers winning any of them. I don't remember the exact order, but I know it's Bills, Buccaneers. Now the Buccaneers are depleted, but damn, that defense, very, that defense is good. Oh my gosh, Bills' defense is good. Obviously, both those teams have pretty good quarterbacks and coaches as well. Uh, the Eagles, who were my NFC Super Bowl pick before the season, and a podcast that was not recorded with me and our friend Dave Nichols on our yearly NFL predictions, just phone call. 
because we're nerds and we like to just have that conversation on our own. Um, Eagles are great. They have awesome, you know, they're, they're way more talented than Steelers. And then I forget the other team. I'm blanking off the top of my head right now, but I don't know if it's Kansas City or, or someone like that, but it's someone good. Might be Cincinnati again. Um, it, it's going to be hard for the Steelers to win any of those games. They played the Browns without Deshaun Watson. I'd imagine it'll be harder to play them with Deshaun Watson. Once again, you never know about injuries. Ravens always tough. Beating Joe Burrow twice in the season. We'll see. Maybe if TJ's back for that, we'll be okay. But it's it, there, there's some cupcakes later in the season. I think they do play the Falcons or something like that. But regardless, it is going to be – yeah, to play the NFC, NFC South. It's going to be tough to get to 500. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world because I don't think the Steelers are worlds away from being good. I don't think they're quite on the precipice, but – that losing could could create some urgency to to make some more aggressive changes than they generally like to make, and also it can get them a higher draft pick. And you know, I don't think that's loser mentality there. I think it's just sort of looking at where the Steelers are at. And you had some more blue chip players to a team that already has quite a few. I mean, that could be extremely extremely advantageous. So. That's all I'll say about the outlook for the Steelers. The sky isn't falling. The sky fell a few years ago. And then in this offseason, you know, when they stuck with Canada and signed Mitch and, you know, whatever. This is the same team we've watched for three years. It's going to be four years of this middling three yards per play team. I mean, Mitch Trubisky is about to set the record for least uh, yards for attempt on a throw, like five yards. And he already has, I believe, the lowest average in the NFL over his time span as quarterback. But if that middling era is what leads to the next era of legitimacy, which really revolves around how the quarterback turns out, which really revolves around how the offensive coordinator is and how he can lead him there, I mean, then this would have all been worth it. And then you'll look back and you'll say, Damn, we were a little bit ungrateful. The Steelers' version of a rebuild was middling. It wasn't bottoming out and having to build from the very very bottom. But make no mistake about it, the Steelers are still in transition. Sucks to watch them like this. Um, I hope they get some more fun wins. I hope they beat the Jets. I think they can. I think they will beat the Jets. I think that'll be close. But either way, uh, we'll be here breaking down the games. We'll be watching the games. Check us out on Twitter, Steelers Outpost. Email us, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye.